Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That the love of God is unstoppable. That's what this series is all about. So let's redeem our phones. Everybody pull them out. Load your Bible up on them. Load your Bible up. Uh, if you have a paper Bible, obviously you can use that. No, you can't. No, yeah, yes, you can. Uh, but uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 5, okay? We'll be in Acts chapter 5, so you can turn there as we kind of get into this series. I'm very excited about this series. We've been in Acts before this year. Acts is the book we're studying for the most part all year long. And this is all about the power of the unstoppable Spirit of God who is in us. And then when we, when we are full of Him, we live these kind of unstoppable lives. Now, last how many of you were here last weekend? You heard uh, Todd and Laswell and all that? Um, so Todd didn't have time to really talk about this part of it. And really, the monies that we're raising uh, this weekend's last money, you know, we're collecting these monies. All you do is go on the giving page and put TS Water. It walks you right through that process. But we're raising these monies to, uh, to help with, with the, the potable water efforts that we're doing. But Todd didn't have time to talk about the church planting that we are doing. Uh, and, and that's not, these dollars are not going to go to the church planting. Other kingdom builders' dollars go to this. I just want you to be aware of what God's doing in Liberia besides water. Because, uh, you know, you can still give potable water to somebody and they can die and go to hell because they don't know Jesus. You, you realize this, right? So we're not only giving the gospel to every person border to border in Liberia and potable water to every person border to border in Liberia, but to date... We have planted, we just crested the 300 church mark in Liberia. Yeah, that's, that's amazing because that will be the sustainability of even the potable water issue because we train our pastors and missionaries over there to train in the potable water. So it, it's all a, a strategic process. I, you know, it, go, it all goes together. And really, the church will carry on the lion's share of the, of the effort as it goes forward. So th that's kind of the deal. But, but the idea is that living a spirit-empowered life, it doesn't make you invincible. It does not make you invincible. But it does make you unstoppable. Okay? It doesn't make you invincible. You're still going to go through all kinds of hardships, suffering, persecution. You're, you're still going to go through it. But... The power of God in you is an inarguable force. It's simply a biblical reality. And my goal is that we get inside of that reality over the next several weeks as we lead up to Easter, because God wants to use us at Easter. He wants to use us to invite our friends, our family, our loved ones, our neighbors, especially the ones with the dogs that we can't stand. But, but He wants us to be these viral people who are unstoppable because of the Spirit of God in us. So let's go to Acts chapter 5. We're going to look at this really cool story that comes uh, kind of on the heels of all that God by His Spirit has been doing in Acts. Now in Acts chapter 1, if you'll recall, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus speaking, post-resurrection, okay? How, how many weeks is Easter from now? Five. Yeah, so, you know, so we're a little bit, you know, rewinding, okay? Uh, but, but after He raises from the dead, He comes to His tribe in Acts chapter 1, and he says, now he says it in a certain way. I want to kind of expand your understanding of it. Jesus says, I want you guys to wait until the Holy Spirit comes, and then you're going to be my witnesses, and then he gives you your geographical strategy. This is always the geographical missional strategy of the church. You may be ignorant of it. You maybe have never heard it put this way, but Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in where? What's he say? 
in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay? How many of you do not live in Jerusalem? Okay. So, what is your Jerusalem? Okay? On the count of three, I want you to shout the street you live on. Ready? One, two, three. Santa Monica. So you're all speaking in tongues right now. You're all baptized in the Spirit. <laughs> Spoke in the lingua franca of the day. I just couldn't hear it all. Anyway, no, but that is your Jerusalem, okay? Uh, and then, like, your workplace would be your Jerusalem. In this section, what are some places you work? <laughs> They're all retired. Uh, <laughs> over here, what are some places you work? Shout, just shout it out. What? Miramar. Miramar. Home? Yeah, home. Okay, that's true. That worked in the last one. Yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. And I'm not taking anything away from it. You guys who work, or house husbands, housewives, you're amazing. Anyway, where else do you work? Hospital. Which hospital? UCSD? Cool. Is that you? Okay, cool. Uh, where else do you work? School. Okay, all of these are your Jerusalem. Then you work in concentric circles outside of it, okay? Jerusalem, Judea, so this would be the next layer, the, then Samaria, then to the outermost parts of the earth. So you're all called to this geographic strategy, all right? Jesus articulates this in Acts chapter 1. Then in Acts chapter 2, the baptism of the Spirit, Pentecost comes. They all speak in tongues. The power of God comes on them. Peter does this amazing sermon in which, I forget, 3,000, I think it is, become Christ followers in this scene. And this happens on the Temple Mount, all right? Now, then they start meeting in homes where they do Bible studies and pray for each other and have communion. And then they're meeting simultaneously on the Temple Mount uh, in, in many respects. In fact, they are meeting in Solomon's porch or Solomon's colonnade. This is an artist's rendition of that. This is the Temple Mount. Herod's temple is in the background through the pillars. This is Solomon's colonnade. This is where the early Christ followers and the apostles would meet and teach and pray. And they were a part of the temple worship experience, okay? So then you have in early Acts 5, you have the first recorded sin of the church, of anyone in the church. In the first, it's a very famous uh, event that happens in Acts chapter 5. A couple sin. Does anyone know their name? Ananias and Sapphira, very famous names. Ananias and Sapphira. It's interesting. Their sin is lying about their generosity. Now, were there other sins that happened between Acts 1 and Acts 5? Yes, that's not a trick question. Yes, there were. It's just that Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he makes a deal out of Ananias and Sapphira. And I don't have time to go into it all. It's just that this is happening, and then God's moving, and lots of people are getting saved. And so the corrupt small group of leaders in the religious culture of first century Judaism, this is called the Sanhedrin, but it's not the total Sanhedrin made up of 71 elders and leaders, males, in the Jerusalem context. It's a part of them, particularly the chief priests. The high priest at this time was Caiaphas. Caiaphas, his father-in-law, Anas, is still very much in play, but it's a subset of the Sanhedrin. When I read the passage, do not think that the entire Sanhedrin is corrupt and evil. Uh, the apostles are going to uh, de deal with and address a specific group, all right? 
And they're threatened. Why are they threatened? Because the gospel is being preached. Thousands of people who are Jews are becoming Christ followers, and this is causing a crisis inside of first century Judaism, especially around the temple mount and the temple worship, okay? So let's read. Let's read Acts chapter 5, verse 16. Crowds gathered also from the crowds around Jerusalem, bringing all their sick and those tormented by demons, and all of them were healed. So demonic forces can, uh, you know, plague people, sometimes give them sickness and so forth, uh, still can. Uh, and all, but anyway, all of them were healed. Another whole subject for another day. Verse 17. Then the high priest, who's that? Caiaphas. Good, very nice. Very good. What's Caiaphas's father-in-law's name? Anas. Yes, Anas. Both very involved in this scene. They're not named, but they're there. And all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Notice it. Filled with jealousy. Now, I've taught you this before, but if you're new to the Scriptures, there are basically two parties in the religious political construct of first century Judaism. Kind of like in American politics, there, there are more than two parties, but there are essentially two. There's the uh, Democrats and the Republicans, okay? And same thing, if you will, in a first century Jewish, Jew, Jewish context. I mean, there's zealots, there's other factions. I'm just saying it's primarily these two. And there's a basic theological difference between the two. Now, the Sadducees are in power, okay? But the Pharisees are very much involved in the Sanhedrin. Uh, uh, but the Sad now, the basic, there are differences between them, but one of the basic differences is that the Pharisees believe in the resurrection and the Sadducees do not. Not the resurrection of Jesus. They just believe in the resurrection of all people, Jews, who die, that they'll be raised from the dead eventually, in the end of the age. In, the, in Like we call it the rapture and second coming of Jesus and all that. They call it the coming of the Messiah, okay? So the Pharisees believe in resurrection, the Sadducees don't. And if you want a good way of remembering that, they, the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. That's why they are? Get it? Sadducee. Right? Anyway, so this is kind of what's happening. So the Sadducees are jealous. They arrest the apostles, put them in a public jail, be like San Diego County Jail. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been there. <laughs> but it is a bummer. Um, I'm just saying, how many of you don't want to go to jail ever in your life? Okay, you get to decide that. You get to decide it every day, just saying. Anyway, now something cool happens, okay? How many of you have never seen an angel? Raise your hand if you've never seen an angel. Not that you know of, right? Okay, but look, look what happens. An angel, an angel appears, an angel of the Lord appears, opens the doors of the jail and brought them out. That's just sick right there, right? That's just like the sickest thing ever. And then he says, he, stalked, he talks to him. So he says, go to the temple courts, where they just were, by the way, and tell the people all about this new life, which begs the question, do you have this new life? Or, or are you exploring it? Do you have it? Why are you exploring it? Emile, did you, Emile, did you smile because that cell phone went off? 
Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How many of you have ever had a, your cell phone go off in an awkward place? Right? I know. It's, I always like the rings, you know. Anyway, another subject. Anyway, at daybreak, so they get out of jail. At daybreak, they enter the temple courts as they had been told. They're obedient. And they began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrive, so they arrive in a whole different context, they call together the Sanhedrin, which meets in the, uh, the, the uh, hewn stone uh, building on the Temple Mount, uh, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, 71 of them to be exact, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving to, at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing outside the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard, and I've taught you before, these are a, the temple guard is a combination of Jews and Romans, all of whom are corrupt and mercenaries. So they're literally swords for hire to the kind of cronyism that is Caiaphas, Anas, the high priest, and this small group of Sadducees, all right? So, so, so they're there. Um, the mercenaries, the temple guard, and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. This is where they are. They're in Solomon's porch. Okay, this is where they are. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. And again, this is not OB stone. Okay, this is not. <laughs> this means punishing with stones. I always have to make that clear in here. The. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. You guys are awesome. Anyway, you must have drank some of that industrial grind coffee out there. That's some good stuff. Anyway, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by Caiaphas. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And then Peter and the apostles reply. And here's a famous line. This line must be your line if you are going to live an unstoppable life. We must obey God rather than human beings. In the course of conversation or the ethics of business or the ethics of leadership, when do you agreeably, submissively disagree? When someone is saying something or doing something that breaches the ethics of the scriptures, the ethics of the kingdom of God, and then you must recuse yourself. You must speak up. You must differentiate. You must take a step out. You have to do it submissively and gently and humbly if you're going to follow scripture. I'm just saying. That's, that's what Peter's doing. And, and the apostles are doing it as well. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom, now he's talking specifically to this group. Okay, Caiaphas, Anas, even the temple guard, whatever, this corrupt group. This is what happened. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> 
the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. We've seen them. We've seen the miracles. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So this is kind of a, you know, a, a point of prophetic word into them. And when they heard this, they were furious. That is the Sanhedrin, but particularly Caiaphas, and wanted to put him to death. So is this just a story from like 2,000 years ago? Oh, that's a really cool story, Pastor Mike. It doesn't have anything to do with me. No, it has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with you. Why? Because the mission of God must be primary. It must be in your life, and there are always going to be fans and foes. This is true for those of you who are on a high school campus, those of you who are on a, a, a college or graduate school campus, those of you in the workplace. This is true on your street. There are always going to be friends and foes of the gospel. I lived as a foe of the gospel for many of the years of my life, many years of my life. Uh, in fact, up until I was 40, I could legitimately say I basically lived as a foe of the gospel for half of my life. I can no longer say that because it's way less than half. But foes and fans, foes and fans, this is just the deal. The crowds are coming, partly mixed motives. They want to experience the miracles of God without experiencing God. Let me say that again. A lot of people want the miracles of God, but they really don't want God. A lot of us. This is why you pray more when you're in a crisis. You want enough of God to make you comfortable. You want enough of God to make you happy. Bless you. But, <laughs> but do you want all of God? Because it'll engage you in spiritual warfare by definition. You, now not in American context yet, but in the world, global context, it's for real all over the world. Refugee camps all over the world are filled with people for generally religious persecution, but in general, by the way, experts tell us that 80% of all people in the world currently who are being persecuted for their faith are Christians. But you meet them all the time. If you're at all engaged in conversation with anybody, uh, you meet Muslims and Christians, all of whom are being religiously persecuted in the world. I meet them every day, pretty much all the time. I mean, I, mean, I certainly meet several a week, uh, both Christian and Muslim, who have been persecuted, many, most of whom have had family murdered and killed for their faith in the countries uh, that they come from. This is just the way it is in an American context now. And we have the great privilege of ministering to them and caring for them. We're, by the way, another whole part of our Kingdom Builders dollars this year and next year more is going to the refugee situation in the Middle East, uh, in Turkey specifically, and Greece and everywhere, Syria and refugees. We're helping with that, bringing the gospel. and bring, Why? Because we're on the mission of God. But sometimes the opposition to the God's mission comes from you. You and I get in the way. We, we don't understand what we're doing. Back in Luke 4, Acts 4, Luke writes, he says of the people of God, he says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So how bold are you? How bold you are is a fruit of the Spirit. 
In other words, the more you tap into the spirit, the spirit life, just like Galatians 5, let's, let's name them. Uh, Paul writes Galatians chapter 5. Uh, the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Uh, if I get them out of order, I'm messed up. No, no, no. But yeah, yeah. But okay, so those are all the fruit of the Spirit. Is that an exhaustive list? No, 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 no. It's, it's what? I guess we would say descriptive, not prescriptive. It, there are other fruit of the Spirit. One of them is here in Luke 4. It's a lot of times missed. If you, as you walk filled with the Spirit, you will simply have more boldness in your life. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's the way it is. I love this quote, uh, boldness is deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. It'd be easier to just be quiet. Boldness is deciding to say something, again, using Peter's language later in the New Testament, with gentleness and respect, but boldness is saying something, you know, to a room, to a friend, to a boss, to a loved one, when it would be easier to say nothing. Oh, I don't want to ruffle the feathers. You need to ruffle a few feathers. In Jesus' name, careful, 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 careful. Because this is the deal. People around you, even religious people, can just be threatened. In this case, they're filled with jealousy. They're just broken. They, they need the help of God in their lives. And especially in the case of uh, the Sadducees, they're super sad because they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection. They believe all kinds of different uh, obscure things relative to life after death. Um, largely, it, it involves in the Old Testament period the concept of Sheol, which is a sort of strange and difficult and kind of ugly existence. Um, but people around you, they don't have clarity. They don't have clarity. They don't, they don't know what's going to happen. This is, by the way, um, God is not causing Sickness is a result, theologically, sick, all sickness is a, is a result of sin that's at work in the world. The world is broken. And the world, Romans tells us, that the world itself groans in expectation of the second coming. So all sickness is, is as a result of sin at work in the created order. And this is why you and I get sick and die, right? This is a part of it. The wages of sin is death, okay? So, so, so that's the case. So people have asked me already, why is God allowing the coronavirus? Okay, what I just said, okay, what I just said, my point is, what is God wanting to do with you in the midst of the coronavirus? Because people are freaking out. Why are they freaking out? Now, I'm not saying it's not scary to me. I'm just saying, why are they freaking out? Because they're sad, you see. They don't want to die. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. Their worst deal in the world is to die. How many of you believe in heaven? Raise your hand. <laughs> like, how, how hard do you believe in it? God is at work to use you and I in it. That's the deal. And God, he cannot give a person happiness. There's a C.S. Lewis quote. I love this quote. He cannot give us happiness apart from himself. It doesn't exist. Oh, you can... Pump somebody up. Oh, it's going to be fine. Use hand sanitizer, blah, blah, blah. That's cool. That's cool. It's just that I'm just saying God is the only one who can give peace. 
God is the only one who can do it. Which begs the question, what, are my, what am I filled with? Fear or mission? Like, like this one. I can complain about the fact that I have to endure hardship or I can embrace it as a necessary step in Christ-like character. Now, I want you to name your hardship right now. It could be the coronavirus. It could be that you're scared of it, which is fine. Don't worry about it. I got, I, you know, I go through it too. But name your hardship. Oh, thank you, Steve. And for your boldness. I don't mean out loud. Uh, <laughs> no, it's good. It's cool. It's cool. Cool. Yeah, uh, it's just that, you know, that, my thank you. Bro, I love you. Uh, it takes a Marine. Anyway, uh, but, but, oh, Army, sorry, sorry. Oh, really? Oh, man, I, I'm sorry. Huh. I'm Army. I'm Army. Anyway. <laughs> so good. So good. But name your hardship. Could be your marriage. Could be a kid that's disappointing. Could be sickness. Could be... I don't know, could be a million things. I have no idea. I just want you to name it. I want you to get in it, get inside of it. I want you to embrace it and bring it to yourself because that's the key to this, okay? And it has everything to do with complaint, like this. I'm not even going to explain it. Except I'm going to ask you a question. What's the question I'm going to ask? You know, this line, like I could get the doctors and the nurses in the church to stand up and talk about this for an hour without notes. This line will kill you. This line right here. It'll give you heart disease. You'll have much, many more visits to the hospital, generally speaking. Um, why is it that God doesn't like complaint? Why is he talks about complaint all the time? You know, the Paul, the apostle, he writes this amazing line. He says, do everything... Everything, what's it mean in the Greek, Pastor Mike? Everything, do everything without grumbling or complaining, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. All of that's together. I'm just saying, complaining, when I get in the complaint line, which I do, I got to get out of that complaint line, I got to get in the gratitude line. Paul, the apostle, who will get saved later in Acts, will ultimately write, and I love his letter to, Second, you know, to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, because He's talking about his sufferings. Now look what he says. You, however, Timothy and the church at Ephesus, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what's it say? Whoa! And Paul writes this right before he dies for his faith, which is amazing. But in that context, he says this, that God's used my suffering. And by the way, it's not just suffering for your faith. It's suffering in general. It's suffering in a broad, more broad fashion. Paul had his own like physical suffering and that kind of stuff. James, Jesus' brother, many years later from Acts 5, will write this, one of the more famous verses in the Bible on the issue of suffering. When, consider it joy. Why? That's crazy. No. 
whenever you face trials of many, here's Simon Sinek, the why, okay, TED Talk. Uh, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Long-suffering, you could translate it. Let's perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is part of the why behind it. Paul will write in the book of Romans before he writes 2 Timothy. He'll write on the same subject that it produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And it does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the why. This is the why. See, it's, it's always about mission. Okay? It's always about mission. It's acting out of the conviction that people cannot stop what God sets in motion. Um, like, for example, uh, if you could write this name down. This name, his name is Dr. Gill. Dr. Gill. So many of you know um, that I have cancer and I'm facing a major surgery. Tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., this afternoon, after this, I'm going to have a lunch with the doctor on the way to L.A. I'm going to L.A., because at 9 a.m. I go to USC, and I will meet Dr. Gill. Dr. Gill is being referred to me by my head of urology at Sharp, because uh, Ron could not perform the, sur uh, the uh, surgery um, just because he's going through surgical stuff himself. Anyway, so he got me to meet, to, he introduced me to Dr. Gill. Uh, and Dr. Gill is a world-renowned urologist. He's the head of urology at USC. So I don't know Dr. Gill. His name's Indabir Gill. He's, I know that because I've researched him enough. I know that he is listed in the top doctors of America for probably 10 years running. He's very, very famous. He has a pretty much brand new $3 million robot uh, with which he will do the surgery. And by the way, just as a side, uh, whenever you're going to have a surgery that's of significance, always best, best to get the surgeon who's got the most at-bats. Just file that away. Don't want the first-year rookie. Okay? Anyway, just thought I'd throw that out. It's all, actually, it's all about uh, the surgeon. I mean, not to, in any way, I mean, the nurse, everybody's important, but it's the surgeon and the anesthesiologist because they're the ones who keep you asleep and bring you back. Anyway, 9 a.m., write his name now, Dr. Gill. I don't know where he is spiritually. Why am I in the room? Why am I going to USC to meet Dr. Gill? It's about the mission. I'm talking biblical theology. Why me? Why Dr. Gill? I don't know Dr. Gill. Maybe he's a Christ follower. Maybe all I'm doing there is to encourage him. Probably not. Maybe. Probably not. How many times has Dr. Gill had somebody in front of them who gets this? This is what I'm trying to, I want you to get why you're in the room. Get why you're in the room. Okay? I got an hour and a half with him. By the way, here's how it is with surgeons. You will see them once. It's a consult. They will tell you what they do. They'll tell you how they do it. They'll tell you the downline consequences of it. You'll decide whether you want to do it. They will see you one more time. It's generally a kiss on the cheek right before you get knocked out by the anesthesiologist. Then you'll see them, and it's just a boom, boom. Hi, good to see you, Mike. Great meeting you. We're going to have fun. See ya. 
Then you go under. Then you're going to see them because uh, if I do this surgery, I'll be in the hospital for five to seven days. You're going to see them a couple of times post-op. Then when I, there's where all the nurses come to play. Why are you in the room, Mike? But I'm just saying, I have one shot at Dr. Gill. It's 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. I'll be with him for an hour and a half. He's going to tell me all of my stuff. You know, he's going to tell me what he wants to do to me. I'm going to tell Who am I going to tell him about? Jesus! That's not a trick question. Why am I in the room? You get it? How often do you get to meet a doctor of such incredible importance? How many people have ever had the whatever wherewithal to share their God story with Dr. Gill? I don't know. I'm just saying that's why you're in the room. And God's voice has to be the priority over the, the noise. The noise. This is about, write this down. This is about divine appointments. Divine appointments. Listen, you either have appointments every day, all day, or you have divine appointments. You get to choose. God wants you to have divine appointments. He wants you to have a divine appointments. He wants to open the doors of your prison so that you can go back to talking about him. That's his deal all the time. No matter what you're going through, that is what's going on. That is the deal. We're talking about the, when they say we must obey God rather than human beings, they are in the chamber of the hewn stone. This is an artist's rendition of where the the, uh, Sanhedrin met on the Temple Mount. This is where they are. Peter says it. Who are we going to obey? You are God. And then in the rest of the scene, Gamaliel gets up and does his amazing thing and talks to the Sanhedrin. He's a Pharisee, by the way. He talks to the Sanhedrin about the power of God and how you can't come up against the power of God no matter what. The question is, is God involved in your current pursuits? What are you doing in the rooms? Why are you there? Like this past week, uh, those of you who follow me on socials, you know that I was at the Church Multiplication Network Conference in Dallas. We helped pull that off every year. Had about 1,800 church planters, and I had to fly there and back. How many of you really don't like to fly? Right? Really? That many of you like to fly? You must all fly first class. <laughs> anyway, I had to fly back, and I was tired, you know. So I get on the plane. And I, I come up to my seat, you know, I'm in the aisle, I always sit on the aisle, sit on the aisle. And, and then there's this guy next to me, Ray, and then this woman on the, on the window. So I sit, put my gear away, and they're talking. Not all the time that that's the case. A lot of people like to work on the plane, as do I sometimes, whatever. But they're talking. So I enter the conversation. And, uh, you know, we just get to talking. And the woman comes out, the woman's a nurse. And then I said, oh. Do you know what IC is? Do you know what interstitial cystitis is? She goes, yes, I do. I said, that's my condition in my bladder. She goes, really? Very unusual for a male. 10% of the cases. And I said, yeah. And then I have, uh, I have what's called Hunter's ulcers. Do you know what Hunter's ulcers are? And she goes, oh, yeah, you're very rare. I'm so sorry. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay, so when I start saying that, now I'm talking normal, we know we're just having a conversation in our little three-person row, all of a sudden, all the conversation everywhere around us stops. Everybody's listening. And then I say one of the most powerful words there is to say. Actually, it's three words. Actually, it's four words. (laughs) I also have cancer. 
when I said that, nobody was talking. And then she asked me some questions about my cancer and about IC. And then I began to talk with her about the surgery. And then the plane took off. And then people began talking, whatever. Divine appointments, right? So on the plane, for a little while we're talking, but it's, not, it's loud now because the plane's flying. And so I find out they're both Christians, total Christians. So we have a little chat. Then I watch a movie, something violent. No, no. <laughs> anyway, then, then, okay, so then we land. Okay, we land. Now, if you fly a lot, you know what happens when you, you know, land and the bell goes off. Everybody jumps up, right? You get your gear. And there's no talking, really, because everybody's getting their gear. So, and it's kind of noisy. So I get up, I get the gear. Ray's a little older, so I grab his bag for him, set it on the chair. I get my gear. And then there's really a split second of silence. And it's totally a God thing. In the split second of silence, because then everybody's going to start talking. But in the split second of silence, Ray says, hey, Mike, would it be okay if we pray for you? Normally, in that split second, everybody starts talking. Nobody started talking. So I sit back down. So everybody's standing. I sit back down. Ray prays this prayer for me, and here's how he prays. Oh, God, heaven of the universe, you are so... No, he doesn't do any of that. <laughs> he prays a normal, you know, hey, God, please heal Mike. He's going through a lot. Be with his doctors, blah, blah, blah. In Jesus' name, amen. When that happened, I could feel like other people praying. It was so cool. That's what I mean. It's like divine appointments are everywhere in our lives, okay? It's what God's actually wanting to do in you. He's wanting to do it in you like literally today, tomorrow, the next day, as we roll up to Easter, inviting our friends to church for Easter on the weekend. Like, it's what he's always doing. You are either having divine appointments or you're just having appointments. You have to see. Okay, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray right now that you help us to see. You'll give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Raise your hand if you want eyes to see and ears to hear. Okay, Lord, you see our hands. You see them. Lord, we want eyes to see and ears to hear. Above the noise. Lord, there's so much noise in our lives. I struggle with it. We all struggle with it. But we want your eyes, your ears. Now, put your hands down. If you're here and you need a right relationship with Jesus, your life's not right with him. You need to ask him for forgiveness. You need to turn your life over to him. And you need to start walking this way. He loves you with all his heart. Raise your hands up. You want to pray about this. Raise them up. God bless you guys all over here. Here, God bless you. God bless you guys. Okay, I want to pray about this. And then I'm going to challenge us to do something, okay? It's going to be fun. But spiritual, well, it's fun. Fun is spiritual. Whatever. So let's pray together. We're going to pray out loud, all right? I'm going to pray a prayer for us. And then you pray after me, okay? So Lord Jesus, help me to see with your eyes, hear with your ears what you are saying. Your words of forgiveness to me. Your words of power to me. 
your words of grace and mercy to me. Not just so that I can be healed, but so that I can become a healer. I become a person on a mission with a purpose in my life. So thank you, God, for what you're doing. I love you. And I thank you for your love for me. It's beyond my imagination. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now give him a hand for what he's doing.